So welcome to the inaugural episode of the Growing Democracy podcast. Some of our listeners may be familiar with our in-person community-based Growing Democracy series, where we brought in experts and activists from a wide variety of nonprofit, governmental, and advocacy organizations to speak with folks interested in citizen engagement and civic action in both Cleveland and Kenton, Ohio. Unfortunately, we've had to indefinitely postpone the community series, but that doesn't mean that we can't continue to engage with experts, advocates, and citizens to help grow our democracy. In this first series, we thought it'd be interesting to focus on understanding governance in the time of pandemic. But before we do any of that, we've decided that we're going to start with an episode zero. And episode zero really is, we're just going to title this Casey Ashley and the Growing Democracy Project story. So hello, Ashley. How are you? Hi, Casey. I'm good. I'm glad to be here. It's fun to put this together. It's been a lot of fun to put this together, and um, I think a very welcome distraction from some of the other things that are going on. Absolutely. Um, and I know that we've had this conversation multiple times and, and with multiple people in the community already, but it was really disappointing when um, stay-at-home orders and the closure of the university and all of that led to the fact that we had to kind of basically suspend and possibly even cancel our 2020 series of events. And so being able to continue our work um, and have these conversations and just share it in a different platform uh, in a different way has really been really valuable. So I'm really glad that we get to to do that with our with our listeners. So thank you for making this uh, an opportunity for us to do this. Thank you. Happy to be here. So I thought maybe we should start off by telling our listeners some of the background about the Growing Democracy Project, right? So we're thinking some of them probably have listened, but maybe not all of them have. So what is this project and what was the motivation behind it? So uh, everyone knows Casey and I, at the time of the inception of the, the project, uh, were faculty in the same department and faculty at Kent State University. And, you know, we shared kind of a department suite, but we also shared a wall. <laughs> Our offices were right next to each other. <laughs> so we spent a lot of time um talking about our work. And so our work actually comes from very different places. Um, the classes we teach tend to be a little bit different. The The research we do tends to look a little bit different. But at the core, we share a lot of the same interests in kind of fostering a robust democratic system and whatever that looks like and whatever and, and kind of a, a socially just system. We had the opportunity to start thinking about what that could look like for us, what, what a project might look like to collaborate. And I think reflecting on the conversations we were having with students, reflecting on our own research, reflecting on our partnerships and community. So we both do engaged research as well. So we work collaboratively with organizations across the country, throughout Ohio, Northeast Ohio in particular, that we're thinking about like, what, what can we do to, to supplement and support the work that others are doing? Uh, and I, I think ultimately the Growing Democracy Project kind of emerged from that, right? So having a series of events, having conversations, collaboratively thinking about what civic and political engagement look like or could look like really kind of came out of that. Casey, what are, you know, what, what brought you to the project? As you said, in a lot of our discussions about, you know, especially our graduate training where we spent a lot of time talking about how decision-making in public administration happens and what, you know, governance looks like when it happens with the citizenry and not 
to the citizenry and that that can really be shaped a lot by having an informed citizenry that understands what's possible and some of the mechanisms behind how you get change to happen. And so in these discussions, you know, as you said, I've spent time in the community trying to offer information about, you know, what is program evaluation? How is that done? You've spent time in the community advising people in different communities of how do you, you know, get uh, advocacy work done? What does that look like? What's successful? And so in, in doing that, we already kind of signaled that we do have a great desire to start at a, at a grassroots space and offer whatever expertise we have to help them kind of further the things that they're interested in furthering. Um, And we recognize that there's a lot of other people out there like us, maybe academics, maybe not, uh, maybe people that are already in advocacy roles, maybe people that are just uh, experts in specific fields um, that have this same kind of vision of, I want to bring what I have to people that would benefit from it and can use it to make change in their own community. And so that was really interesting for me to have an opportunity to do this in uh, in Northeast Ohio, where I see a lot of people that are really interested in improving the communities in which they live. So I have a question for you. Um, We we talk about kind of governance in the time of pandemic, but we also, we we use words like civic and political engagement and the power of governance. What are we talking about? What do we mean when we say governance? <laughs> right. So it's a great question. And that is that, you know, we're, we so we live in a society not because we're forced to, but because we choose to. And as a democratic society, we have an ability to shape what our society looks like. And a lot of what it looks like is the way in which we're governed. We have opportunities and mechanisms to try to uh, mold the governance structures that are around us. A lot of people think of this just as voting, but that's a very kind of basic surface level uh, approach to governance. You don't just vote and that's it. I mean, I guess you can, but but there's a lot more to governance than just that, right? Um, most of the governance that people probably see in their everyday lives, they don't even recognize as being governance, right? The person that delivers your, your mail, that's a public servant. Uh, the person at town hall that grants you that, you know, permit to put in a fence in your backyard, that's a public servant, right? All of these decisions that are made in most of the time a very local capacity, those are points at which we can become engaged with our own governance. There are important ways that we can make changes happen or facilitate change uh, if we have a voice and, and somebody else doesn't. We can kind of use that as leverage to make change. Uh, but that but governance is more than just voting. It's a lot more, in, in my experience, and I think in the experience of most people when they think about it, at the local level. And those are things that you can do something about pretty easily. You just need to have some of the right tools. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thinking about how we shape the spaces where we live, work, play and pray, I suppose, right? Like that, that we have a capacity to inform what the environment looks like, what our communities look like, what the organizations where we're working or engaging with look like, what our city looks like. And that it, it's really powerful when you recognize your own agency and then can seek out the tools to make sure that you have, you know, that you can kind of leverage that power um, to shape it. Absolutely. So in that vein, then, how do you connect that to uh, civic engagement? Yeah. So, you know, I think when I'm thinking about civic engagement and governance, 
uh, you know, I tend to gravitate toward a recognition that this is happening in lots of different ways and in lots of different spaces. And that once we recognize where it's happening, we can move into those spaces and help shape them. Um, or we can move out of them because we recognize that the, the people that look like me, act like me, are already taking up a lot of space. And so I can move other people into those spaces, right? So I think it's constantly thinking about how we're creating opportunities for people to be engaged in their communities. Um, and so for civic engagement, uh, I'm typically thinking about everything from, you know, being a volunteer or a member of a local Girl Scout troop, you know, understanding how that is teaching people about decision making processes, how it's how, how, how girls and adults who are leading are involved in doing even small scale volunteer projects like making masks um, is helping their community, right, kind of building their, their, their philanthropic uh, <laughs> toolkit too. Um, but everything from also attending public meetings or deciding to serve on a local board or commission. I don't even think people realize that those are available to them, right? That they there are positions available to advise local, state, uh, and even federal level officials on what the decisions that they're making. And so thinking about what that looks like. So for me, civic engagement kind of runs that gamut. And then political engagement tends to be a little bit more focused for me on conversations around power. How do you understand that power? How do you shape who's in power? How do you leverage your own power to inform decision-making? And so I probably tend to, to see them very similarly, but understand politics from a power lens. Yeah, no, and I think that that's another area in which we had a lot of agreement and made this collaboration uh, pretty seamless, actually. I've realized that we've jumped into a lot of the definitions about some of these things and also what this project is, but we haven't taken a few moments to give folks some background about ourselves, who we are, and who we are inspired us to create this project so maybe you want to start with that. Oh, absolutely. I am a faculty member. I, I study things like urban governance and policy and activist development. So how people become activists, how they do that work, right? But um, that's just kind of my research focus. But, you know, I, my, my history is a little bit, you know, it's funny because I can point to all the you know, the path and it seems so seamless, but really it was much more, uh, a little less mapped out and strategic, uh, in the, in its actuality. So I have a background, uh, in, I'm an undergraduate degree in psychology. Um, I was always interested in working with groups that had been marginalized, um, by different systems, um, and thinking about the ways in which they had been impacted very individually. And so a lot of my work, I think is still grounded in that early, kind of education around how inequality and how systems of inequality impact individuals, their mental health, their well-being, um, and so on. But I really began to gravitate towards kind of the systems thinking and thinking about how laws or communities shape that space. So I have a back, I have a master's of public administration and worked for many years doing service learning work, volunteer management leadership training and community outreach work um, with a university-based women's center. And so I, I taught classes. I, I sat on a lot of boards, local community boards, and was seeing firsthand what was happening. And so a lot of that early kind of thinking about 
the type of world I wanted to see um, really informed how I wound up deciding to get a PhD and the type of work that I research um, and the types of classes that I teach. Even now that I'm here in Northeast Ohio, I'm originally from West Michigan, lived in New Jersey, lived in DC, kind of lived all over. Now that I'm in Northeast Ohio, you know, trying to create spaces where I, and not just a researcher there to, you know, impart my wisdom, but also to learn from community, right? And, and to be in spaces where I can really kind of grow in my understanding of Northeast Ohio and the communities in Northeast Ohio and, and understand all how all those systems have, have shaped people's individual experiences. I think that a lot of my background inspired this. Uh, my undergraduate degree was in justice studies, where I was very interested in systems of inequality and, and especially how uh, historically marginalized populations tended to be disproportionately harmed by uh, governmental systems that were in place and that this was a, a pattern that occurred time and time and time again. And that a lot of the faculty that were uh, in the department where I received my undergraduate degree did engage in a lot of community work. So they would, you know, they were at prisons and, and interviewing prisoners and trying to find out the, the systematic issues there that were affecting them and how these things, you know, were not necessarily uh, legal in many aspects. And so they would involve uh, legal interventions in many cases. And so at that time, I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll pursue a, a law degree. And that would be really a good way to, right, use some, uh, some power and benefits that I have to try to tackle uh, inequalities in the system. And I was very lucky to work at um, a, a state agency that was essentially in charge of regulating and uh, giving out a lot of social policy benefits. So things like food stamps and child support and um, TANF or what's otherwise known as welfare. Uh, and I, through my work at the state agency, I was able to see that, in fact, law isn't always the easiest or best way <laughs> to intervene to disrupt these systems of inequality. And in fact, that there are many other ways in which policy is an important and invisible kind of tool that's been leveraged both to put this in inequality into place and maintain it, but it can also be used to break it apart. Uh, and so this kind of developed my love for public policy. And I decided instead that I was going to pursue a master's in public policy, which then turned into a PhD. And while my research focuses mostly on uh, early education, but also labor policy, I think that that is motivated by groups that I see that are very uh, in very vulnerable and fragile positions, and that those are places in which policy interventions can have a, a big and lasting impact. But that is really just a reflection of that my interest is in how policy can be used to try to you know, break apart, again, these systems of inequality that disproportionately affect people that are in vulnerable populations. I um, mean, it can be a tool for good, not necessarily for, um, for evil. And that uh, also, I know that people don't think policy is interesting all the time. <laughs> and that kind of makes me sad. And so I, wanna, I want to, you know, go up there and proselytize people about the interesting work that's done in policy and why you should care about it, why it's really, really important and it, it should be paid attention to um, and that it can be used for something that is very important as opposed to, you know, a, a tool for, you know, oppression or just controlling people. So one of the things that that brings up for me is that um, 
on the one hand, when, when we talk about political engagement, a lot of people see policy as kind of this end thing, right? So I am going to call my state senator and ask them to support or oppose a specific policy that's been proposed. Um, but a lot of the work that we do is on implementation and evaluation. And to me, that is such an important place for people to be engaged. And so can you tell me a little bit about what what we mean when we are talking about kind of policy implementation and evaluation and, and, and maybe even why you know, the general, why we want the general public to be paying attention to it and why it's so important. Yeah. I mean, I, and this was something that I always found fascinating when I would teach students, um, either, you know, program evaluation or, or policy evaluation courses is that their idea of what policy is, is very, very narrow. So one policy is something that the state or local government or, or federal government chooses to do, but it's also what they choose not to do, right? So the absence of action, that's policy as well, uh, because they've decided I'm not going to intervene in this. I'll let, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, market forces or something else, work it out, quote unquote. Um, but policy is really a lot of decisions that are made at every level, just because a, a legislative body gets together and crafts some language and passes it and says, okay, here you go, agency, you implement it. There is no way in the world that that legislative body wrote down every single step of implementation that they could recognize that uh, implementing a policy in Cleveland looks different from rep- implementing a policy in Columbus, that the context in which these uh, policies are being implemented in looks radically different. And so because they can't capture all of that information, that means that whatever administrative body is charged with implementing that policy, they have to make a lot of boots on the ground decisions. And those decisions, they're also policy, right? Because it can fundamentally change the ways in which benefits are delivered to certain groups and and the creation of winners and losers happens. Um, so so when we say that you know these these quote unquote small decisions um, are policy, what we mean is that in a local setting, some of those policies that are essentially made, right in in the absence of a democratic fashion, because these aren't always made by people that are elected to a position, um, that those are policies that affect people very locally and um, in a very personal way, and that they should be carefully examined, whether that's through uh, program evaluation or whether that's just through folks in a you know city or town or, or whatever it is saying, I want to understand what's going on here, and I want to understand how this was implemented, what the outcomes are, and and if it was implemented efficiently and the way in which it was envisioned, and in a way that is uh, having a, an equal effect on all of the citizens that we would hope it would have an effect on. I think this gives people a sense of why Growing Democracy Project kind of evolved to what it is now, right? So thinking about um, kind of a series of workshops and community-based discussions, but also podcasts that aren't only talking to people that we traditionally think of as policymakers, right? Um, Elected officials um, at any level of government. Um, But we're also, I mean, so those people are important and we, you know, are inviting them in to have conversations around what they're doing. But we're also talking to 
local government administrators. We're talking to advocacy organizations um, and representatives um, who are holding people accountable and mobilizing people to action to help shape what that lo those local forces look like. Um, and we're also talking to people who are, you know, trying to mobilize individuals to, you know, take the census or get out and vote so they can see those connections to how voting or census taking impact kind of all those other levels. And so I think having this conversation really helps to make it clear that when we're talking about civic and political engagement, we're really thinking about it in this very big picture way, right? And there's so many places in which we can help to shape the world that we're living in. And, you know, that's what we, we want to be able to do is have conversations about that and, um, and have people think about what that looks like for them in, you know, in conversation with them, what it looks like for them, as opposed to like, you know, give them a template and say, now go change the world. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, and that's exactly right, is that I think that um, a, a big goal for us out of this was to say, hey, public administrators, hey, citizens that are interested in engaging in their communities, um, how do you guys see each other as, um, as, as uh, helpful allies, right? And that the public administrators, they have the knowledge, they have the, the, the tools, they know where, you know, the post-its are kept, right? But citizens know what's important to people and what some of the issues that are really, really uh, pressing, but also sometimes invisible, especially to folks that are either in political positions or in public administration positions. And that when they work together, that they can identify problems in the community and solve them in ways that are really meaningful and impactful. And so I think that that's probably one of the um, biggest goals that you and I shared for, uh, for this series. Now, we've had a pretty, I think, successful run in the past 15 months. And, and as you said, we were really looking forward to the lineup that we had for 2020. It was very exciting. And we were days away from our March event when we found out it had to be canceled. So that makes a lot of sense that we've had success there and that we would look forward to getting back to that. But instead, we said, hey, we're going to we're going to produce a podcast to people, to professors who've never done this before. We're going to go ahead and produce a podcast. Why in the world would we do that? <laughs> I don't know if I can respond. I'm just laughing. So I think that I, I fundamentally believe that my role in the university and the skills that I've developed along the way um, have not been so that I can talk at somebody, um, but so that I can create spaces for conversation for, for others. Um, and so, yes, I do kind of traditional research. You can find my stuff in academic journals. Um, but a lot of my other work is very much around conversation building. And so um, I think that really is at the core of what we wanted to do is to say, we don't want to talk at people um, but we want to try and create spaces where people can talk about the amazing work we're th that they're doing um, and we can be in conversation about it. And we can, we can talk about theory and concepts as they're applied and understood within the community. And, and, and I think that that, um, that is one reason that we kind of kind of pivoted in this direction that, and there's just really cool people doing really cool work <laughs> um, across the country and in Northeast Ohio right now um, that letting, you know, not taking an opportunity to share those stories just kind of felt like a waste. 
Yeah. I mean, right. So these first 10 episodes have this theme of governance in the time of pandemic. Um, and this really, I think we, through talking through this, we saw this as a major opportunity that would be missed if we didn't um, share some of these governance stories that are happening. And, and, and by governance, it's not just necessarily folks that are in, you know, public uh, uh, agencies, but also folks that are out doing the work of advocacy or in nonprofit organizations because they're part of our governance structure too. And that there are some really cool things going on. And this is a this is a moment in time where I think that for a lot of people, they can start to identify and understand, hey, you know what? Public administration, nonprofit organizations, advocacy work, all of that is so freaking vital. And we're benefiting from that structure and that system right now. And maybe it's a great time to learn more about the work that folks are doing, um, especially folks that are doing some just incredible work in Northeast Ohio. And also, how can I get involved with that? Because that sounds awesome. And I want to know more. Yeah. So to that point, um, Casey, who are some of the people that we have coming on the show? We've had the benefit of recording some of them. Yeah, no, I mean, so, you know, we've got everyone from folks from a a county uh, public health department. We've got folks from a a local food bank that came on, which is going to be our episode one. And Katie Carver-Reed is really impressive. And I think everybody's going to love episode one, perhaps more than episode zero, where it's you and I. Yes. We've also got folks coming on that are, you know, from amazing organizations like the Trust for Public Land. We've got somebody from the Columbus Zoo coming on uh, to talk about, you know, how people can engage with other spaces like green space or, uh, you know, zoos, which we think of as, oh, well, I'm just going to go to the zoo. It's a lot of fun. But actually, there's a lot of, you know, uh, uh, education going on, both for parents and for children, and that they're figuring out new ways to still engage with those communities of people. We've got somebody that's coming on to talk to us about something that's very relevant, such as how does, you know, the use of certain types of data potentially aid in contact tracing, but also, you know, what are some of the drawbacks to that? So we've got a a mayor that's going to be coming on and joining us. We've got somebody else that's engaged in the LGBTQ community in Cleveland. So um, just a lot of different people that are doing a lot of cool things that I think um, folks will really get a sense of what a broad variety of work is happening right now and how important the work is that all of these folks are doing to really help just an enormous community of people during a time that is really stressful and um, and can be challenging. And yet they're kind of pushing back against all that and struggling against it to find some really uh, fundamentally innovative and cool ways to still continue to do the work that they're doing. Yeah. And I think when I'm thinking about the pandemic and, you know, this public health crisis, we can, I mean, and I think it's really important to, to talk about kind of the, the challenges that it presents. Um, but it also, you know, one of the things that in conversation with people that we've really realized, and I think we knew, but it, it became really apparent, is that in, mo- in many of the people's work, it really just amplified the work that they were already doing, right? It really made the services that they were providing or the advocacy that they were doing or even the electoral work that they were doing as so much more important and viewing it as so significant to shaping the lives of people that they wanted to be, you know, helping, serving in whatever capacity. And so 
for me, these conversations, um, I feel like have been, how do I say they've, they've, they've been a comfort. They've, you know, they've really have been an opportunity for me to be in community with people um, and, and thinking about what my local community looks like and, and knowing that there are amazing people out there doing this work, even in a really horrible time, you know, that that it's there. How have you felt? I mean, how has this really shaped, how are these conversations shaped your perspective? Yeah, so I, you know, and I'm one of those people that the data was comforting. So it was always nice for me, at least, to see the the data about the spread of the infection and and how things are coming down and how people are responding to different, you know, policies that are that are put in place. But it was a really different kind of comfort to talk to people that are doing this uh, hard work in our local communities to hear how. Um, one, they they recognize the urgency of the work that they're doing. So when we spoke to uh, folks that are that are working with the uh, incarcerated population, right, they recognize that you know this is a moment that they need to act. That yes, there are some additional challenges that come along with these you know stay at home orders and the and the social distancing measures, but this is a moment where their work is of utmost urgency and they need to take this on to, you know, how the food bank is responding to trying to, you know, get people food still in a time of great challenge. And that it just really was a lot of um, messages from different people, but the same message over and over, which is we're going to do the work that we're going to do because it's really important for people and it makes a huge difference in their lives. And and that's it. Maybe it's a community of people that we don't always think about and that they're often invisible, but they're not invisible to us. And we're gonna we're gonna do what it takes to help them, even if the challenges are different and the challenges are harder. And um, and we're gonna have to, you know, develop some weird ways of doing these things. And that's okay. It's it's gonna be better in the long run if we do that um, than than if we just sat back and didn't. Absolutely. And I think from the podcast, right? So the series of workshops and community dialogues really kind of is built around a sequence of getting someone from thinking about themselves as an individual within a community to thinking about themselves as a collective and how they can shape and create change. Right. So, but you know, these conversations on the podcast allow us to have a different type of conversation um, with people on the ground and, and to invite our listeners into that conversation by thinking about the ways that they can be involved. In some instances, it's policy, right? So how can you be involved in shaping policy? How can you be involved in volunteering? How can, you know, or or where to get services, right? Because that's also a really vital thing that um, we want to make sure that people recognize is what, you know, what's, what's available, what are people doing? For, for you, Casey, what are, what do you want our listeners to take away from kind of the, the first uh, few episodes of the Growing Democracy podcast? Well, I'd like them to take away a couple of things. I think the first is just a great appreciation for some of the work that's, you know, kind of silently been been done uh, for the community in Northeast Ohio, the communities of Northeast Ohio, and that that it's really incredible what some of these folks have been doing and continue to do. I think the second takeaway is that um, that they can become involved and they can 
various, you know, points, depending on the thing that is of most interest to them or how much time they have or what they're willing to do, um, that there are so many points at which they can make a difference in the communities around them um, and for, for an oftentimes very vulnerable populations. So uh, this is a time where maybe we're, we are feeling isolated and we feel like we're kind of alone, but we don't have to be and that there are so many mechanisms for us to get engaged uh, and, and that that can have a positive effect on us, even though we can't necessarily be together. We can feel together because, because we're, we're making a difference together. What about you, Ashley? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I have much more to add. I, I mean, so for me, it, I study things like community organizing, right? And that's relationship building and for me, a lot of that is being in community with people. And and so um, I think I'm, I'm hoping that the podcast is one of those little tiny pieces of feeling like you can be in community. Um, because in some ways, uh, you know, we're focused a lot on Northeast Ohio. We see our work as really informing the communities of Northeast Ohio. But I do think that it also is relevant to people elsewhere, right? So I, uh, most of the people we've talked to point to, you know, we, we're seeing this same phenomena or a similar phenomena happening in Arizona and Texas and Connecticut. So I think that, yeah, it's an opportunity for me to feel like I'm in conversation with people that I hope that it creates a space that people feel like they get to be in conversation with us, even if they're just listening to it three months from now. And that it, it it's not only relevant to the people of Northeast Ohio, but kind of beyond. Yeah. I mean, nobody that we are talking to, uh, had their jobs created because of the pandemic, right? They, they all were doing this work that they do pre-pandemic, um, but the pandemic really just highlighted how important this work is and that we probably should have been paying attention all along. And uh, what's happening in Northeast Ohio is just a microcosm of what's happening throughout the United States and that all of these issues are shared um, regardless of what what state or city that you live in. And so I, I think that there is probably um, a particular interest for folks in Northeast Ohio, but no matter where you are, I think you're going to find a lot of interesting information out uh, from listening to these podcasts. Excellent. So I have one last question for you, Casey. Um, where can our listeners find more information about our project, about the podcast, about everything that's coming up? Right. So if they go to growingdemocracyoh.org, then they can find out all the information they ever wanted to know about this podcast, about the project in general, about our in-person series and the events. A lot of them were taped and they can actually go back and watch some of those events. Um, but we also have some you know, other uh, uh, information up there, some like some educational curriculum. Uh, access to the links that some of our guests talk about on the podcast and also links to other folks that we think are doing really incredible work that they should check out and, and beyond just what we're doing. Um, and uh, more information about us if they desperately wanted to know that. Excellent. Thank you for, you know, doing this with me. Thank you for doing this with me. Thanks for listening to the Growing Democracy podcast. I am Casey Boyd-Swan, and my co-host is Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is edited by Jeremy Demery and supported by the American Political Science Association. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. Join us next time for our first episode in the series when we talk to Katie Carver-Reed, Director of Network Partners and Programs with Akron Canton Regional Food Bank.